The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Well, now it's time for our Friday Forum, where we bring you some of the biggest stories of the week. Joining us to talk about all of this is Neil Richmond, Finnegal Minister of State at the Department of Enterprise, Trade and Employment, Sinn Féin Senator Lynn Boylan, and Mark Tai, Senior News Journalist with the Sunday Independent. Good morning, one and all. Um, the gift that keeps giving, Neil, RTE. Mm. I wouldn't call it a gift at this stage. Uh, the frustration that keeps giving. Uh, yet more revelations this week, Pat, extremely disappointing. A lot more work for the the two relevant Oireachtas committees to do and a lot more responsibility on Kevin Backhurst to show that the reforms are happening, to show that people's monies are being spent wisely and this can never even, not never mind, never happen again but never be anything like this again in an institution that is so important to our state. Yeah. Now, um, redundancy programmes are required when they need to reduce staff to reduce the cost base and they might point to the government and say, you guys, you haven't given us an increase in years and years and years. We've now had to do all sorts of things to try and make ends meet. Loads of competitions and sponsorships and all the rest of us selling our souls to advertisers in a way we didn't have to do in the past. I mean, it is true that no government wants to put up the licence fee. No, of course not. But I think when we're talking about the licence fee, we have to look at a sustainable model going forward. Um, The model as is isn't fit for purpose. The money given consistently by the government to RTE that covers everything from news reporting to the to the orchestra and much more is money well spent and it's important money but it hasn't been spent well by RTE in the last it's not years. The, it's not the government giving the money, it's us it's the the, who it's buy the, the licence. We are the people who are given the money. The government just kind of passes it via on post to RTE and to the BI gets uh, some funds. Uh, Lynn, what's your take on this? Well, I think first and foremost, it, it's another kick in the teeth for the, the general workers in RTE, those who, you know, have taken pay cuts or who've seen, you know, uh, resources curtailed. And we've heard stories of people saying that they had to fight for bottled water, even for guests. You know what I mean, and then the, to be listening to this yet another uh, sort of just this flagrant disregard for public money. To be honest, you know, there didn't seem to be any oversight, any form of governance. It was not their money, so they didn't have to do due diligence. Seems to be the approach that was taken by uh, the executive board of RTE. So it's deeply disappointing for for those workers. Um, But I also think that we do need a sustainable funding model for RTE. You know, the Commission for Future of the Media did propose uh, exchequer funding. That's Sinn Féin's uh, proposal as well. You know, I'm heartened to hear Neil say that we need sustainable funding, but we've had, I think, at least three different approaches come out from the government parties in the last couple of weeks about what they see it. So yeah. RTE does need certainty because we do need uh, good public service broadcasting. But with that has to come the proper governance and oversight to put the trust of the public back in our public Mark, service Mark, uh, what's your take on, on this? Obviously, certain things happen that should never have happened. Uh, but, you know, the licence fee, the funding going forward. Yeah, I suppose just coming on the back of the review into the toy show, the musical, the board didn't do its job there in approving um, the huge expenditure on that. It was a big flop. And, and on the back of this, we've we've seen this week that Breed O'Keefe, the former finance director, getting redundancy when she shouldn't have. So, you know, there's many of the board members that are still there that were were on the board when these things happened and they're still on the RT board. You really have to question their future. And, you know, did they take the appropriate actions as directors of the RT, of the RT company? I know... A lot of RT staff morale there is very low. They've struggled fighting HR for many years to get, you know, contract staff, uh, struggled to get made uh, permanent staff. And, you know, I mean, that's probably the biggest scandal that's bubbling under is the number of people who are contracted year in, year out, remained as contractors. And then, you know, and many of them currently who've been servicing programs as uh, researchers and so on. 
just let go. And we knew there was something rotten there in this kind of bogus self-employment review that was done by Eversheds. You know, RT had to make a, a settlement with revenue of some €2 million Euro on back of that and are facing ongoing investigations by the Department of Social Protection, the scoping uh, department, into, you know, whether people were put on the wrong contracts when they were actually were staff. So we knew there was an issue with the, or the, the RT HR function. And, you know, I suppose that's really reinforced by this uh, redundancy scandal, you know, which, you know, there's one different rule for the RT executive or someone in the second or third highest executive in RT, Brito, keep availing of a scheme which she, she shouldn't have been able to avail of. And the woman at the centre of it all, D Forbes, continues to be in hiding effectively, you know, ever since the, the, the Ryan Tuberty scandal broke last summer. Uh, we haven't seen sight nor sound of her. I know we've heard that she's been ill, but... You know, it's really beyond time that uh, D Forbes would uh, make herself available to one of these Oroctus yes. committees now, and try and explain some of these. Uh, you know, when, when you're having a go at a board in the commercial uh, arena uh, because of their shortfalls or failings. Um, in this case, though, the board is appointed by the minister. Mm. So if the board doesn't do its job, you can actually look to the minister, whichever minister it was at the time the board was appointed, and say, you picked a load of duffers. Well, the board also goes through the public appointment service it's not just solely at the behest of the minister so I think that's clear to say and it is responsible to the Oireachtas and goes before the Oireachtas but what we've seen here is a complete and utter failing by the board and Mark's right there's a number of them still in position I think it, that's why not to follow previous things we need to see them in front of these Oireachtas committees we need to get full clarity to find out not just for, for purpose to find out exactly what went on why it was so wrong to ensure not only that it never happens again but there is a sense of, of justice provided to the so many brilliant workers across RTE who are being tarred by that inactions of another group um, it's sometimes a, a bit simplistic to look at, at boards like RT where, you know, there's so many cultural aspects. Uh, in, in my time on the board, I was on the board, I was appointed by, I think it was Minister Jim Mitchell, and I served not as a staff member, but as a board member. And you had representatives of the, the GAA, and Lee Mulvey was on, you had the trade unions representative, the late John Carroll was on. So you had all these representatives who, in fairness, knew very little about broadcasting. Um, so the way a board like that works is that the executive bring the documents to you. They outline what they're going to do. Uh, the chairman at the time, Jim Culleton, uh, formerly of Cement Roadstone, he was fantastic uh, uh, chairman. But he and the director general would get together and they would, uh, you know, bring everything down to, if you like, bite-sized nuggets for the board to discuss and decide upon. Uh, and that was a very rigorous process. But in fairness, I mean, they did have to explain a lot of nuts and bolts to a board that did not have the expertise. Yeah, I think that's the point to make about the public appointment system. The way boards are appointed now are drastically different um, than that era. Um, they're drastically different than even 15, 20 years ago. These are people who are meant to have relevant expertise, relevant representative appearance. The chair obviously goes, the chair designate goes before the Oireachtas Committee. But we have had a failing here from the executive and the board. It's a clear failing and no one can say it's anything else. And there was a, there was a red flag, I thought, on this, Pat, a, a couple of years ago. Uh, someone who went through that public appointment system and the Oireachtas Committee, it was Larry Bass. And, you know, he was recommended, someone with a lot of t- TV experience, obviously a lot of business experience. You know, he went to the RT board um, there's huge resistance to him being on the board. He resigned after one one. No, I mean, the, 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 the argument there was that the board in some way would be uh, involved in the dishing out of contracts to the independent sector. He being an independent contractor might benefit from that. But in truth, that would not be the way it works. The executive board or the commissioning editors would decide who got the contracts. But would those commissioning editors feel the pressure from the board? 
and therefore do something. You know, Larry should not have resigned. His contribution um, to their activities might have been extremely well, valuable. He, he felt, you know, after one session that he was made to feel uncomfortable and unwelcome. So you had that kind of um, strange kind of dynamic at work where, the, you know, the, the RT board was saying, no, the Oireachtas has decided this guy should be here and he can recuse himself from certain things. But he was made to feel so uncomfortable he resigned after just one but, board meeting. But I think that's just kind of, again, indicative of how dysfunctional the whole system was because even with the toy show, we heard that I think a couple of members of the, the board were invited to a briefing on the toy show. I mean, instead of the whole board. And so, like, you'd have to ask, well, why were those two chosen? Do you know I mean, were they chosen be- because they had skills in terms of event organisation or were they chosen because they might be less likely to scrutinise or more compliant? So the whole thing just seems to be dysfunctional. Mm. And when it comes I, to... I'm not ex- sure that any of them would have embarked on the enterprise with uh, the ambition to lose money. Do you know what I mean? They probably but, all thought it was a great idea Otherwise, it would not got it, have gotten as far as it did. But I mean, there's one thing about bringing creative idea, but then you have to have somebody who has financial oversight and saying, OK, what's the market like for this type of event at this time of the year? What's the population of Ireland in terms of how many parents are going to be bringing risk? the children? Let's start small. Let's not go for the convention centre. Absolutely. Let's, but what I was going to say, that argument about the time of the year and the product, Toy Show, you know, the the most watched television programme in the year, Toy Show, the musical, it's Christmas, obvious, no brainer, they said, we'll have a hit. But it's also a time of the year where parents are saving for their kids' presents and then you're talking about bringing them to, you know, not everybody lives in Dublin, so coming up to Dublin, spending a night in Dublin, which is already expensive, and buying tickets, when there are also Mm. pantos and people have tradition around going to different pantos as it was. So that's what I'm saying, like there clearly wasn't due diligence done and if you want to try something new, try it new, but try it small and then if it's success, you can go big. Getting back to your point about the the funding model, this is like we, way back we had the the Labour Finnegale coalition. You know, Pat Rabbit, Minister for Communications. There was a plan to bring in a broadcasting charge. You know, the, to sort out RT's funding. And you know, each successive government, you know, all of them involved in Finnegale have you know failed to step up to the plate and sort RT out. And RT have spent a huge amount of time, huge amount of resources. They've they've paid lobbyists to lobby the government to try and sort out the funding model and. Here we are, you know, uh, 2024. And yeah. still there was no- a missed opportunity with uh, when Pat Rabbit was in power because uh, if they had uh, brought in a new funding model whereby there was direct charging, evasion would have been eliminated overnight, which would have meant that the broadcast charge would have been lower than the licence fee. And I, at the time, was advocating that, saying, what's not to like about this? The public pay less, but the people who don't pay at all will be caught. End of. But, of course, they walked away from that. Exactly, yeah, and and we're we're left here. We're still kicking the ball around, and no one no one will decide. You know, we're going to we're going to go on this model and, and fix RT's funding model but instead. And it is like the taxpayer is paying extra in that. You know, it's not just license fee money. The government every year is having to put, give RT a bailout, effectively. But we also set up a commission to look exactly at that question, and they didn't find that the broadcasting charge was the way to go. What they recommended was direct exchequer funding. So what was the point of setting up an expert body to go away and look at this and then to ignore the recommendations that they came out with? I mean, other countries okay, have done this. So let, Finland let, let have done propose, it, Norway, Sweden have done it. Let's, let's suppose that uh, you guys are running the next government and, you know, the polls might suggest that could be the case. So uh, RT have a right go at Pierce Doherty for something he does and he's the Minister mm-hmm. of Finance and the vote comes through for more money for RT. And Pierce says, I'm damned if I'm given those so-and-sos. 
you see the way they shafted me on prime time the other night? That's the risk. Uh, they, and I'm not just talking no, about Sinn Féin, but I, there I'm are, proposing lots, that to there, you, well, that you'd like to ha- control it, the media by controlling the money. No, in fairness, Pat, there's lots of ways you can put safeguards in. As There's lots of other countries have done this. You give it multi-annual funding. So say, for example, for four years, you guarantee a set, a set amount of funding. It goes through the oversight of Oireachtas committees, through the all debates and that, and that it then has to be, I suppose, the application for increases in the funding would have to be, uh, you know, show that full transparency transparency and governance, that things have changed in RTE to win back public confidence. And I think that if any minister, regardless of who the minister was, was trying to cut the funding after the four years, uh, they would have to set out very, very clearly... Do you know that old expression, he who pays the piper calls the tune? I think we need to fund public service broadcasting. We're all in agreement in that, how important it is in, in, to have a, in a good democracy to have that. But multi-annual funding, and let's not forget, TG Cahar is funded in that that way and nobody would argue that the TG Cahar has independence around its broadcasting mm. and, and in fact I would think in some senses does a better job than RTE. How many of the ministers and uh, TDs and senators actually watch TG Cahar Nuacht and know what's been said about them one way or the other? <laughs> Neil, what about that? He who calls the who, who pays the piper calls the tune. Is it something that uh, Fine Gael and government would love to have uh, control of the purse strings of RTE directly? Directly and completely, I'd be a bit concerned about, to be honest, Pat. I think there is a balance need here. I think direct exchequer funding, we see it now at the moment, but I think there is a role for a licence fee, a broadcasting fee, to have that level of, of public oversight in relation to over yeah, oversay in relation to funding. I would be worried having everything at the behest of a minister. And, and Lynn rightly talks about the various checks and balances, but we've had checks and balances in RT in terms of a board over the last number of years. And here we are mired in an absolute mm. disaster for seven, Mark, eight months. Yeah, what, what do you think this business of direct funding by the Exchequer? Yeah, as a journalist, I'd have concerns about it. I, you know, I, thought, I always thought the broadcast charge, a fair one, um, would have been the, a better route. And I think, that unfortunately, the longer the, the delay has gone on, and with all the crises we've had with RT, mm. evasion rates have gone but wouldn't up. it be uh, to your advantage to have a media fee so that some monies could be dispersed to to print media and other media? Because we do need not just broadcast media that's local and truly local. We also need um, newspapers that are truly local. Yeah, I, 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 I can see that there's a need for support definitely for, for local media. I, I'd be very reluctant about national media like, you know, the Sunday Independent, the Independent Group Media House, the Irish Times getting exchequer funding directly. Um it just it does impinge on journalists. No, but integrity. would you like a chunk of a media fee? I I'd be reluctant. I prefer to see RTE's um, commercial activities restricted. You know, whether they they wouldn't take as much ads in, whether it's online or on air, and then that you know that allowed you know print or an online okay. media to get the bigger chunk of the market. All right, uh, we move on to uh, Northern Ireland and uh, Central Lynn Boylan. Um, do you agree with your party leader that uh, United Ireland is? within touching distance? Well, I think first and foremost, uh, all going to plan tomorrow. Tomorrow is going to be a really significant day and a really welcome day for all of the people on the island of Ireland, but particularly the people in the north who have had dysfunction for for two years. Um, And, you know, and I wish Michelle O'Neill all the best. She has certainly demonstrated, even though she wasn't officially in the role as First Minister, she has demonstrated she's a a First Minister for all. um, And I think she will continue to do that. Um, In relation to Mary Lou's comments, she was responding directly to a question that 
that was put to her at a press conference. And look, we make no apology in the sense that we are a United Ireland party. We use every single institution, every single platform uh, to advocate for United Ireland. And, you know, the Good Friday Agreement allows for that. It allows for when the conditions are right for us to have a referendum on our say on petition. So I, I suppose we're not going to apologise for being a United Ireland party. Um, and, it, and let's not forget, this is a really significant day, not just for the people of, of the North because their institutions are back up and running, but also because this was a system that was designed that this would never happen, that there would never be a, a nationalist first minister. Yeah, and, and, and by the way, there is a call to reform the institutions of uh, Northern Ireland under the Good Friday Agreement to, to make sure that we can't have a two-year hiatus without an executive. You just can't ha- be allowed to happen going well, forward. Well, it, it, it hasn't served people well that there was a two-year hiatus uh, on, because the DUP brought the, the institutions down. But I do think you have to recognise that for uh, the nationalist community no, no, in the north, like you've done the same yourselves, not for two years, but very, the, very different circumstances. But, but you know what I mean. Different. You were still able to to stop the institutions functioning, and that's but, what I'm saying. It, not your fault, not the DUPs, not the the Ulster Unionist Party, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you can't have a system where one party can say, I'm not going in, throw the, to- throw the toys out of the pram, whichever party we'll, it is, and we'll stop government. You can't we'll, have that. We'll engage in any, any reform process. But as I said, we're not going to apologise for being United Irelanders, but it is incredibly significant that we now have got Michelle O'Neill as First Minister in a system that was designed that that would never happen. <laughs> Mark. Yeah, I suppose it's uh, it has been a kind of a two year huff, as Jeremy Ferder said today in the Irish Times by the DUP. You know, a lot of the the, the achievements that, and the guarantees they've received uh, from the UK government are largely cosmetic. You know, no routine checks on Republic of Ireland imports, but you know there will still be checks. There'll be no new border uh, check. Uh, so designed in, designed to save uh, Sir Geoffrey Skim, basically to, to save face. Yeah. So but look, it's. Uh, I think he, there's a setup of a new organisation, Intertrade UK, to, to mirror Intertrade Ireland. So these are things, I suppose, you know, under Boris, the the, the Conservative government, you know, they they tell the DUP one thing, but then throw them to the side straight away, you know. So at least they've got some legislative guarantee that Northern Ireland and Northern Ireland people have to be considered in UK law. So I think these are things he can sell to, to, to the unionist population. Neil, I had uh, your uh, colleague, uh, Simon Harris, on this morning, and he said it actually won't make any difference uh, practically to to the Republic of Ireland in terms of trade and all of that? No, it won't. This is what we've seen pass through Westminster last night is internal UK politics moving the British government to a position that the European Commission was trying to get them to anyway in the first place. We've seen in the Windsor framework that this can be really good for the entire island of Ireland. It can be particularly good for Northern Ireland in terms of having full access both to the UK market and the single European market. I'm not going to be popping any champagne corks at the executive's back tomorrow. I'm delighted it's back, but it shouldn't have been gone for so long. And I will say something that um, perhaps Lynn wasn't expect. I think it's a good day to see Michelle O'Neill as First Minister. I say that as a nationalist, as a United Irelander, but as someone who wants to see the Good Friday Agreement work. Now, something we've uh, just in- introduced here, but not yet in Northern Ireland, is the business of the returning of cans and bottles. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why you have to have an R, it would appear, is that Someone had the vision of loads of people from Northern Ireland coming down with sacks full of empty cans and empty bottles and you putting them into machines at uh, Tesco and getting money back and then running back to Northern Ireland with uh, 10 euro 50 in their pockets. Because, you know, the whole system of only our branded products getting the returns when something like 600 products in cans and bottles, plastic bottles, 
will not qualify for this scheme. I think there's a bit more to it than that. That is one element, but it's also in terms of where you can actually return the goods and the and the stores that are selling them. So I'd love to say that's the only reason it would make for a great story, but I think it's far broader. The deposit return scheme is really no, important. No, I think it's a great results. idea, but the nuts and bolts of it seem to be a bit cumbersome. I mean, people, if they have, for example, stocks of non-R branded stuff, they will still be charging someone who the 15 cent or the 25 cent, which they can't get back. Yeah, and which they shouldn't be, but this is all about the process that is going to work it out over the next couple of months. At the end of the day, the biggest thing is this will encourage more people to recycle. I don't know a single political party that hasn't been calling for this scheme to be introduced for the last 20 years. Well, actually, I was part of the single-use plastic directive negotiation team and the Irish government at the time, and it was Fianna Gael, uh, were lobbying very hard behind the scenes, your minister at the Council of Europe, to delay the deposit return scheme. This is really welcome. It's going to look, there's going to be teething problems. It's a big change for people. But this means that we will reach the 90% recycling rates. It'll mean there'll be a lot less uh, plastic bottles and cans, both in our hedgerows, getting cut up on football pitches by lawnmowers, causing, which cause injuries. So this is, this is a good day. Um, but it is welcome that Fine Gael are now on board. I've right. always um, been on board. Mark, I remember passing a motion as such, Lynn, to be fair. <laughs> Mark, I won't go uh, or with you. I'll ask you, on the other hand, because you've been doing a lot of writing about this, uh, the question of the Irish manager for the men's team. Uh, any sign of white smoke at all? No, unfortunately. Um, I think the, the the hope still very much within the FAI is that Lee Carsley will, you know, be receptive to their advances. Um, he's, he's definitely the, the main man, the main target that they want, the current England under-21 manager. Um then the kind of other candidates like uh, Neil Lennon and uh, even Anthony Barry and Chris Hewton, I suppose they're, they're not um, to the fore. Or they're, or they're not either with Anthony Barry, he's not available. So I think very much their their hopes are set on Lee Carsey, but I, do, I really don't know who they're going to go for if, if Carsey isn't. Mm. Going I know for people him. say Roy Keane would be great for box office. Also, if they claim they're reformed, all the complaints that Roy had about the FAI, um, that would be one way of proving that they've truly changed. Yeah, I just say Roy has so many media commitments now, it's hard to see if he'd be able to give them up to dedicate himself to Irish football. I'm sure it's only a part-time job. Anyway, look, thank you all for joining us. Lynn Boylan as Sinn Féin Senator, Neil Richmond, Finnegan Minister of State at the Department of Enterprise, Trade and Employment, and Mark Tye, Senior News Journalist for The Sunday Independent. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.